and Russia's president says he'll reach his call-up target of 300,000 for the Ukraine war within weeks. That's all the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to today's Week on 3 with me, Christy Lai. We're having such wonderful weather lately. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. Like always, I'll be sharing with you some thought-provoking yet interesting interviews from the past week here on Radio 3. Let's dive right into today's show, shall we? After three long years, Japan has finally reopened its borders last Tuesday as authorities finally lifted COVID travel restrictions. As mentioned in previous programs, Japan is a Hong Kong favorite for not only its wonderful cuisines, but for its culture, tourist attractions, and a personal favorite, Disneyland. Analysts and more are saying that the reopening can definitely stimulate and drive the Japanese economy, as the Japanese yen hasn't really been doing well lately after hitting a 24-year slump. Reporting live from Japan about the situation is William Pesek, Tokyo-based journalist and author where he shares more about his insights. Well, you know, walking around uh, some of the, the, the busier kind of, uh, you know, shopping districts and, uh, you know, sort of entertainment districts, things are definitely uh, significantly cra- more crowded today than they were a week ago. Um, certainly the influx is coming. You know, we, we've seen a lot of news coverage um, and a lot of newspaper photos from, say, cities like Kyoto, uh, cities like Sapporo, up in Hokkaido. So uh, the influx is, is coming. Um, you know, certainly a gig like NHK television, they seem to have a camera set up at the airport, um, you know, filming people arriving uh, at, at the airport. So it's, um, I think people are a bit excited in that, you know, it does signal that Japan genuinely is reopening. We've been talking about reopening for a year now, and suddenly it's happening. So it is a bit of a jubilant moment, if you will, and the economy at the moment could, uh, could use all the pick-me-ups it can get. You know, so here in Hong Kong, we, we still have some, some COVID measures, um, you know, the z- zero plus three. And, and there's been a lot of talk about reviving um, our tourism sector here. What are the efforts on the tourism sector of Japan to, to help them come back after COVID? Well, one of the things they're doing is that they're doing a massive ad campaign. You know, the yen is down sharply. The yen is down about 27% this year alone. Um, that's twice as much as the as the, uh, the Chinese currency is down versus the dollar. So Japan is doing this massive marketing campaign. They're also rolling out a variety of discounts for um, foreigners arriving. Um, and I think the government also is doing its part to help revive the, the tourism industry in the short run. You know, before 2020 hit, Japan had invested massively in, in building new hotels and new transport around the country. All those things have been mothballed over the last two and a half, three years. And suddenly there is an effort to increase employment in the hospitality sector. I think the government finally, you know, after decades of, of talking about it, they finally realized that tourism is an important growth engine. Unfortunately, when they did decide this was the case in 2019-2020, it was at a very bad moment. Is there there any worry on the part of the Japanese people with this influx of um, potentially people carrying COVID? Well, absolutely there is. Um, There are a lot of concerns on that front. Um, I think also, you know, in, in, say, in 2019, uh, Japan saw a record uh, number of visitors come in. Almost 32 million people came in 
and 2019. And around that time, even before COVID, in cities like Kyoto, there was a lot of talk about kind of gaijin fatigue. You know, I think people felt that there were just way too many people coming in, way too many, uh, too many people on the streets. It was getting a bit too crowded. So I think that some of the locals were a bit up in arms about that. It'll be interesting to see how that goes at the moment. But I know when, you know, when Japan was hosting the Olympics, uh, you know, in 2020, but then they had to do it in 2021, there were a lot of concerns about the influx of travelers and COVID. There are those concerns right now, but the Japanese have been very careful. I mean, basically, you still have pretty much 100% uh, mask uh, wearing compliance here. People are being very careful. So, you know, there are concerns, but people are you know, going on with their lives and, you know, hoping for the best. And uh, you mentioned the weak yen earlier. I, I guess that's helping to attract uh, more more travelers to Japan. Um, what about uh, um, the uh, tourism-focused business that have, have uh, maybe shut down over the past two years? Are, are many of them returning now? Well, they're trying to return. I mean, one of the problems you saw is that, you know, basically hospitality, employment, plunged sharply, of course, between 2019 and 2021. I mean, hotel employment alone fell about 23% during that period. So there is an effort to, you know, ramp up employment. A lot of people who are working in hospitality pivoted to other jobs, and it takes a while for the government to, to incentivize people to shift back to the hospitality sector. Um, you know, there are efforts to increase uh, airport employment as well, uh, airport staff, um, customs staff. And so it will be a a slow process, and I'm sure there will be some kind of, you know, some sort of speed bumps along the way. Um, But the government seems to be working on this, and they're rolling out new discounts for folks overseas, you know, 10% uh, discount coupons, that sort of thing, offering different kinds of uh, Japan rail train passes uh, at advantageous rates. And so the government seems to be taking this influx of tourism seriously this time as, a, as opposed to uh, in the past. So, again, we'll see. The economy needs to pick me up. You know, there's talk of the economy shrinking in the month of August. And so any kind of influx you see in spending would, would be helpful. And uh, looking at the influx of uh, international travelers at the moment, uh, how much impact do you, do you expect it will have on the uh, Japanese in- economy in, in the short term? Well, Prime Minister Kishida is talking about 5 trillion yen worth of spending per year. That's about 35 billion U.S. dollars of tourist-related spending, and, and that's, that's a good thing. The problem is that China cannot come. I mean, you know, when you think about where Japan was in, say, 2019, when it was beginning to see record tourism numbers, a lot of those tourists were coming in from the mainland. A lot of those tourists were coming in from Hong Kong. Uh, Of course, obviously, you're seeing very little of that at the moment. So in some ways, Japan is reopening, but the, the, the biggest potential store of tourists cannot come here. So in some ways, this reopening, we have, you can say we have one arm tied behind our back, in certain ways. Um, so we'll see what happens. I mean, I, again, the economy is stumbling at the moment. Inflation is rising. Uh, you know, inflation right now is almost 3%, which is unheard of for an economy that's had deflation for the last 25 years. So, you know, Japan is certainly hoping for a big boost over the next three to six months. But it remains to be seen how much we will actually experience when, when all is said and done. Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pasek was speaking to Janice Wong and Andrew Work on Backchat. 
This week on Backstage, Allison is speaking to the one and only multi-platinum chart-topping American singer-songwriter, Laugh, who just finished his All for Nothing tour. Laugh is also an advocate for mental health. And in honor of World Mental Health Day on October 10th, he recently partnered up with BetterHealth to provide up to 3 million US dollars in three therapy sessions for his fans. He mentioned that loving oneself is the most important thing and spoke with Allison Howe how to achieve that. Yeah, yeah, partnering with BetterHelp and basically um, they're um, uh, with them giving out $3 million in money for um, a free month of therapy, which I think is so cool. Um, yeah. I feel really honored. Um, when we first started talking, I was like, this is so crazy. And like, I love all the music part of my career. Don't get me wrong. But the fact to be a part of something like that means so much to me because like, I know it's really hard for a lot of people to get access to therapy and, or there's a, still a stigma around it, or, you know, it's hard mm -hmm. to just start trying. And, and I just think that's so cool. And um, yeah, I'm just super thankful about that. That is brilliant. Thank you so much for doing this. And I think with personal experiences, therapy can really make a world of difference. Yeah, hundred percent. It's, I, I had my therapy session today, my weekly therapy, and it's so essential. Wow. So tell us what exactly do you go through in therapy? Because a lot of the outsiders, they may have misconceptions. Maybe they've never gone through a therapy. They're scared to talk to a yeah. complete stranger. Totally. How's your experience? That's a really good question, actually. I mean, it's different every week, but um, it's a combination of just anything from just talking about what's going on in my life and over time building that rapport of somebody who's not in my life as uh, on a day-to-day -day basis as a friend or something, but more so somebody that they can just listen and help me kind of see what I'm saying, help reveal things about what I'm saying. Um, uh, sometimes give feedback. I also do like meditation work in my therapy. Um, uh, there's, yeah, I mean, there's so many things, um, but it's, yeah, it's just really helpful. Really, really helpful. That is brilliant. And your fans through you may be able to get a chance to have that experience for yeah. help. So that's wonderful. I hope the rightful candidate We'll yeah. walk away with this life-changing experience. Yeah. Now let's talk about your tour. You just wrapped. I know. I'm so sad. I'm like, I want to <laughs> And we're working on more tour dates. So there's going to be definitely more tour dates coming. And I know I keep saying that over and over, but there, there's going to be more tour dates coming. Um, yeah, the tour was amazing, though. I felt like it was a really transformative experience. You know, I didn't get a chance to tour my last album, really, because I dropped it right before quarantine and everything. Um so it was, yeah, it was magical. It was so sick. My gosh, I love watching your social posts. I'm just like trying to envision myself at a live concert. It gets kind of wild. It does get wild. It's, yeah, it's emotional, but it's also high energy, which is the way I like it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you're listening to your album, obviously with the upbeat tracks, with, you know, the, the hit singles, you can imagine that happening. But even the, the quieter ones, the acoustics, uh -huh. your fans are incredible. I know. I'm like, especially when I was singing Hey Ari live, you know, off the new album, like when people started singing it back to me and then like I could not sing part of it. I was like, this is so like, it's just, it's just crazy. And it's, it's, yeah, it's so cool. So wow. I, I missed the tour. I miss touring a lot. So touring can be quite hectic though. How did that, um, what kind of, what kind of mental things did it do to you touring? 
Well, uh, in the past, I wasn't really in the best headspace always. Um, but on this tour, I really took care of myself. I did. I was working out. I was doing a lot of. I was. I was meditating every day, at least at least once, if not twice. Like before, I would get on stage. So I was really serious about that. Um, and I also feel like I had time to kind of explore the cities a little bit, like only a few hours. But I went, you know, went around, maybe got some food, did a little shopping. You know, it was fun. Nice. It's good to be a tourist every now and then. Exactly. <laughs> We are still looking forward to having you in Hong Kong. What would you like to experience、oh, in Hong Kong? No, I mean, so it's been so long, you know, since I've been.、Um, but yeah, I, I,、uh, I want to experience everything. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like last time I was there, I didn't really get a chance to like really experience too much. It was just tour. So I'd love, you know, at some point to have some time to actually hang out. I mean, this is kind of the thing about touring: is like you go to so many places, but then like most of the time you don't really get to see that much.、Mm. So,、um, yeah, definitely. Hopefully, next time I come, I can actually like hang out for a bit. So what if this is it? What if it falls apart in front of my face? I wouldn't be surprised, 'cause it happens every time. And now I'm feeling sick, doing all these things that just push you away. Baby, tell me why? Do I do this every time? By Lauf, who was speaking to Alison Howe on the Common Room. Make sure to stay tuned to the Common Room for more interviews with the biggest stars around the world.
On Wednesday, Lisa Lam, who is co-chair and general counsel for the Gay Games 11 Hong Kong 2023, shared with Noreen Mir a very meaningful event. The Colors of Life campaign, which is jointly presented by Gilead Sciences and Gay Games 11 Hong Kong 2023, which aims to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion in the hope of unleashing the potential of our community and future generations. Let's hear more about the campaign and how you might be able to participate in it. Well, the Colors of Life campaign is really a community project. It's been actually over a year in the making. And um, we're working, you know, it's really a way of really telling the stories of people, stories of people who have overcome adversity or different challenges in their life and, and their journeys of how they've now become like iconic figures, you know, sharing their own stories of, uh, you know, inclusiveness, diverse, diversity, and, um, you know, and, and yeah, yeah. And how, how by sharing their stories, we hope to really, you know, engage with the public, you know, about really rethinking what is the broader DEI, you know, agenda is, you know, and engaging people in a dialogue, you know, and what they can do, you know. So, so we are very, very happy, you know, to be partnering with, you know, um, you know, Gilead Sciences to, to put this campaign together. And the launch event is actually next Wednesday at 3.30. Very exciting. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank Not you. long to go. One more week. I know, I know. Lots have been happening. <laughs> it's, it's a year yeah. of, of, of happening. So yeah, that's great yeah. that everything is, is well, yeah, happening, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Um, so some of the guests that you've invited to share their stories are really some of yeah, the movers and shakers. Tell us about them. So we have, uh, you know, uh, Joyce Chang, you know, uh, and then we uh, uh, Pearl, uh, badminton athlete, you know, Daniel, and then Asha Kubit, and then, you know, we have, uh, Vivek, you know, a comedian, you know, so it's actually a very, very, you know, interesting, We're big you know, fans of all of them. Yes, yeah. yes, a lot of fun, you know. And there's something yeah. to be said that stories are so powerful, mm-hmm. and it's true. I think when people are struggling, or even not struggling, I think stories can really have a way to connect, um, mm-hmm. everybody. So how did you choose these guests or, or these people? Um, mm-hmm. you know, th- are they, are they quite representative? Of, of people from all walks of life? Yeah, I think so, you know, because, you know, diversity and inclusion is really, you know, uh, I mean, um, from, from all spectrums, right? So, you know, like Joyce, you know, she, you know, she overcame, you know, like perhaps, you know, it's more about body image, yeah, right? A lot of body yeah, positivity, yeah. Yeah. that kind of thing. And then, of course, Daniel, you know, like in terms of his own experience, you know, uh, the accidents and how he continue, you know, and, and, you know, become a professional athlete representing Hong Kong and, you know, being an Olympian, Paralympian, yeah, right? So, so it's really is is uh, they all have their own stories, you know, and and how they overcome, you know, uh, maybe stereotypes, right, or, or how a person ought to be, you know, uh, and then and then you know their own inspiring, you know, kind of journey as to now they are, you know, uh, like a really iconic figures in their own field, right? Yeah. yeah, Lisa, where would you say Hong Kong is in terms of this sort of DEI spectrum, diversity, equality, inclusion spectrum, um, when it comes to attitudes towards differences? Mm. Well, I think, you know... Uh, depends uh, depends yeah. where we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess on, on the topics and stuff. I, I think overall, to be honest, I mean, if I can say, uh, let's say just LGBTQ community generally, because that's a little bit closer to to me, uh, I'll say that you know generally the the general um, public attitudes has actually been improving on the rise. Uh, you know, there's actually a study that was done by a professor in a Chinese U. You know, he actually did a longitudinal study of public attitudes towards extending yes uh, legal protection to LGBTQ community. Uh, in 2016, 
he found that there was uh, the respondents, 35% of them supported uh, extending LGBTQ, like legal protection to the LGBTQ community. And then in 2019, it was 60%. So that's a very, very you know, big jump, right? Jump. And if you really look at the, the age cohort, actually uh, people from 18 to 34, actually it was over 80%. It's very, very encouraging figures, right? So it means that our this future, the hope, you know, in our younger population. <laughs> the future is bright, yes, so yes. to speak. Um, what mm-hmm. about companies? Can I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, sometimes I wonder where, who should be leading this movement? Mm. Individuals or should it be businesses, the government? How, I mean, mm-hmm. w- should companies be, be doing more in terms of uh, uh, leading the, the DEI initiative? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, like, you know, only by being a more inclusive and diverse society, right, that, that I think we... It's like a mosaic, you know, a kaleidoscope is beautiful, right? And I think we can all play our part, you know, everyone. So, of course, companies, you know, I think, yeah, can definitely do that. You know, uh, they can start with Right, uh, you know, particularly now that you know, like I think the younger generation, they really look at beyond just is your pay good, right? They also look at the you know, is quality brand, of life. Right? Yes. Yeah, quality of life. This is a brand I I can resonate with, right? Yes, exactly. So they would, and even that for me as a consumer, I would look at hey, you know, like is this company, you know, really, you know, walking the talk type sort of thing, right? So we will look at you know your your hiring policy and and things like that, and then you know uh, you know whether companies are really supporting. You know, there's so many people in Hong Kong who are doing so many wonderful, you know, initiatives, right? You know, and and the, as companies, they can totally, you know, reach out externally and then support them, you know. And I would say, like, you know, for for, for, for Gay Games itself, we actually, like, really been very fortunate to enjoy the support of some of our, you know, our corporate sponsors, you know, and we're very, very, you know, uh, lucky for that. But, but I also see that, actually, if you look at our website, you'll see, you know, they're all international global brands. Yes. Yeah. I think one area that Hong Kong probably can do better is more having more locally grown companies really stepping out, you know, to say, hey, you know, we, we are championing the AI, right? And I think if you really think about it, particularly, you know, after these last few years, you know, uh, we are, we're losing a lot of talents, right, uh, about, you know, the, glo- the globally, you know, the world companies all talking about DEI, how can we do better, sustainability. I think, you know, by really embracing DEI, actually, it, it, it could be like, in a way, almost like a shortcut, you know, to tell the world, hey, you know, Hong Kong is open, Hong Kong is pluralistic, Hong Kong is back on the stage, right, it could really do Good. That's such yeah. a great way of looking at it because, you know, I think when it comes to Hong Kong businesses, they think about making money. I, well, actually, I think all businesses yes. think about making money. <laughs> but, you know, how else can you profit? You know, mm-hmm. and it is that sort of social capital. Like mm-hmm. you mentioned, you, you can't you can't buy the good image yeah. and, and by, by promoting these sorts mm-hmm. of inclusivity. I think that's, you know, wonderful mm-hmm. for, for Hong Kong as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so how can we uh, raise awareness? How can we do, you know, more public education when it comes to DEI? I think it's quite a new sort of thing for, for a lot of, uh, I think it's only in the recent decade that we've been really talking about, certainly in the last five years, we've been really talking about it on this show, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, like, for example, I mean, uh, you know, like the Colors of Life campaign is a great, you know, one of the great example initiatives, right? Really engaging the community, you know, uh, you know, of course, also through social media, right? Facebook, you know, Instagram, you know, and then, you know, it's, it's a perfect example of like a, a, a corporate, you know, partnership with 
you know, ourselves like an NGO and also communities, yeah. right? Really engaging everyone together uh, and, you know, having this exchange, right? Like you and I have today, right? So everyone can really play a part. Lisa Lam, co-chair and general counsel of the Gay Games 11 Hong Kong 2023. And finally, to end today's week on three, I'll leave you with Steve James, who will be taking us back to the 1960s, where an English rock band, The Who, released their biggest hit yet. Take care and have a great day. I'll see you next week, same time here on The Week on 3. I'm Christy Lai. This We've got another surprise for you. Is the Steve James Thursday Afternoon Drive. Give it up, will you? On Radio 3. Are you guys nuts? <laughs> The factories may be roaring with the boom a lack a zoom a lack a wee But there isn't any roar when the clock strikes four Everything stops for tea Now I know just why Franz Schubert didn't finish his unfinished symphony He might have written more but the clock struck four and everything stops for tea Tea break this afternoon This day, 1965 The Who recorded one of their biggest tunes ever, and they recorded it at Pi Studios in London. When released as a single, it reached number two on the UK chart. It was held off the number one position by The Seekers with The Carnival Is Over. There's a tune. Roger Daltrey would later say that he stuttered the lyrics on the song to fit them to the music, or to try to fit them to the music best that he could. The BBC initially refused to play the song because it did not want to offend people who stutter. Ladies and gentlemen, recorded this day, 1965, The Who and My Generation. People try to put us to death. Talking about my generation. Just because we get around. Talking about my generation. Forget old Talking about my generation my generation, baby Why don't you all fail with me? Don't try to dig what we all say I'm trying to cause a big sensation I'm talking about my generation What we all Just...
Get my 